Let's get into the word here, Deuteronomy 30. We know that in uh, chapter 28, it was that chapter where the Lord speaks to the children of Israel there through Moses about blessings and curses. The blessings would come if they obeyed the Lord and how God would prosper them in the land and grow them and go before them and basically just get your eyes on me and it's going to be all good. But if they don't obey him, that there would be ramifications for that and there would be curses that would come upon them. And uh, you go through the Old Testament after this time and you, you see in different seasons in the rebellion different levels of those curses. And in times when they were obedient, you would see the blessings poured out. And eventually it would come to the point where they were taken into captivity, which was kind of like the, the epitome or the, the high point of their rebellion, of finally bringing them to that place where they'd have to be taken to a foreign land. And we saw that happen, first of all, with the northern tribes there, with the Assyrians, and then later on with Judah, and uh, most of Benjamin was there, and the Levites and a lot of the other tribes too had gone down to Judah and eventually by Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon, they were uh, taken into captivity and then God in his grace brought them back. And um, it's a reoccurring theme here that's talked about here at the end of Deuteronomy. We'll get into it again tonight. And we know that after the Lord came and, and they, re, they rejected the Lord except for a remnant, and the Lord uh, prophesied that they would be scattered again. And indeed they, they were Israel for 1900 years and yet according to the word they've been gathered back uh, in these last days and so there's there's a lot of truth here that's applicable to even the world scene today and things going on and um, the the kind of end uh, result or the end story for Israel in this dispensation and that eventually all Israel will be saved and eventually that hard hardness and that stiff neck that you read about so often finally the come to that place of looking on whom they pierced and repenting. And again, God's gathered them together in these last days to, to bring that about. And it's really exciting, and we don't want to lose sight of that. And we want to understand uh, our role as the church here and also understand that God's doing a work in Israel. And, and it's, it's a pretty exciting time again to be alive. So let's start here in the first six verses. Read this together. And uh, glean some things here and consider some things. It says, now it shall come to pass when all these things come upon you, the blessings, we talked about those, and the curse which I've set before you, and you call them to mind among the nations where the Lord your God drives you, and you return to the Lord your God and obey his voice according to all that I command you today, and your children with all your heart and with all your soul, that the Lord your God will bring you back from captivity and have compassion on you, and gather you again from all the nations where the Lord your God has scattered you. If any of you are driven out to the farthest parts under heaven, from there the Lord your God will gather you, and from there he will bring you. Then the Lord your God will bring you to the land which your fathers possessed, and you will possess it, and he will prosper you and multiply you more than your fathers, and the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. So again, we refer to those blessings and curses spoken of in the previous chapters. And he's saying, listen, when these things come upon you, and, and he starts by saying the blessings. 
And there would be seasons when Israel would do well. Even Joshua, when he would lead them into the promised land, that was a, a good time. I mean, for the most part, they walked in obedience to the Lord. There was, there was some rebellion and some setbacks, and those were generally nipped in the bud pretty fast. For the most part, they went in by faith, something their fathers didn't do, and God gave them great victory in Canaan, and they settled there into the land. Unfortunately, though, it didn't take long because the next generation comes, and it says that they have a lack of knowledge of the Lord, that their children had not been raised up, up with the same knowledge of the Lord that they had. And before you know it, you get there into the book of Judges, and this cycle of rebellion starts where they're not obeying the Lord. They're not listening to the Lord. And eventually the Lord would bring them into uh, an oppression, a, a bondage from you know, some of the neighboring tribes or nations. And then they would call out to the Lord and the Lord would raise up a deliverer and there'd be a mini revival and then the cycle would happen again. And then eventually the Lord you know, allowed them to have kings even though he wanted to be his king. And, and you see the cycle again. Pretty much with the northern tribes with Israel, it was, it was outside of some prophets and faithful individuals and small remnants. For the most part, they were in rebellion uh, for, for you know, many years, king after king. And then in Judah, you know, there'd be a, a, a wicked king that would shun the things of God and then kind of a mediocre king. And then there would be these highlights where kings would come and bring reformation. And in those times, they walked with the Lord. Indeed, the blessings were rich. And then they, they would go the way of the world. And you look at that and you scratch your head. Have you ever read that? Read that cycle? And you're like, when are they going to get it? Why are they doing this again? But then we look at our own lives and we say, when am I going to get it? Why am I doing this again? Because there's nothing new underneath the sun. Praise God. In all of it, we see the faithfulness of the Lord. Aren't you glad God's faithful to you? That he who began the good work will be faithful to complete it. And it isn't wonderful when you're walking with the Lord and you're walking close with them and those fruits of the Spirit are there and you just see the Lord working and so forth and blessing and in trials and, you know, just the enemy is relentless and the world's relentless and our flesh is relentless. And it's interesting in the scripture, sometimes you see the greatest victories and then they're followed by the greatest blunders. You know, that showdown of Mount Carmel and Elijah's up there and fire comes down and all this stuff. And then the, the, almost the next scene, he's running from Jezebel and he's hiding out in the cave, almost blaming God, you know. And yet in all of it, God's faithful to us. He was faithful to them. So he talks about the blessings and then he talks about the curses. And, you know, he speaks specifically here, knowing that they would come to that place where there would be so much rebellion, they would be taken into captivity. And he says, when you're in that place and, and you begin to call to mind, you know what, the truth, you begin to call to mind, um, you know what, the outcome of your rebellion. You remember the blessings and then you realize, you call to mind that we're here because we've rejected the word and these curses have come upon us. He says, uh, and then you return to the Lord God and obey his voice as I command you today. And walk with them with all your heart and your soul. The Lord will bring you back. And as I read about that, you know, I just thought about the prodigal son. He had so many blessings. And then he walked away from his father. And then it wasn't until he was envious of the pig's pods that they were eating that he began to call to mind the blessings in his father's house. And began to call to mind 
the servants of my father's house, has it, they have it better than me. And he humbles his heart. And he says, I'm going to go and I'm going to ask for forgiveness from my father. And I'm going to see I'm going to be a servant. If I can be a servant in his house, I'm, 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 you know what, I'm ready. I'm ready to yield. And then you see what's going on the other end. It isn't so beautiful. His father's waiting for him. And it paints the picture of the father every day looking for a son. And he sees him coming. And what's he have? He has a ring and a robe. And his son comes and he puts a ring on his hand and a robe on him. And he says, you know, kill the fatted calf. My son was died, was dead, and he's alive. And you know what? Probably all of us have had, um, you know, at least a semi-prodigal experience. Others, major prodigal experiences of, of going away and coming back. But the greater comment or commentary on all of it is our God. How good our God is. You know, that... He's long-suffering and patient. And he was that way with Israel, and he's that way with us. It's not something that we want to take for granted. It's not something that, you know what, we want to tamper with deliberately and take for granted the grace of God. Uh, Though I know we're all guilty of doing that, and he's still long-suffering. But I would hope tonight it would be a truth that we would rejoice in, and we would celebrate. And it would cause us to love him all the more. And... um, I love how it says here, when you return, come back, you and your children, and come back with all your heart and with all your soul. And the truth of the matter is sometimes that's what it takes for people to really give all their heart and their soul to the Lord. I've seen a lot of people over the years, myself included, I came to the Lord as a, as a pretty small kid. And, you know, there was just a lot of messed up stuff that messed with my mind, and I did my thing, and I can't blame anyone but myself for that. But I remember coming back, though, when I finally came back as a, as a, man, I was a, as a man when I came back. A 22-year-old, I was, I was a man. And, but coming back, though, with, okay, Lord, now I'm ready to give you my heart and my soul. Now, now I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready to, you know, and again, it's, it's been quite a roller coaster since then. But he talks about that. And I, I look at that, and I just see the goodness of God. And you ever read those verses where it says, like, God works all things for good for those that love him and call according to his purposes. And you think about some of the things in your life. And you think, how could God use that for good? I've, I've done some horrific things. How can God use that for good? And yet, I look at this and I see, look at the rebellion curses came upon them. That came because of their sin. And, and it wasn't just... You know what? Oh, you're not being a nice guy. This is like gross rebellion. This is like gross sexual immorality, paganism, debauchery. I mean, they're, they're out there. And yet God says, I'll take you to captivity. And that's where you're going to realize. And now you're going to come back and give me all of your heart and all of your soul. And I look at that and I look at, man, look how God is because even in that, even in this, he would use it for them to really, again, okay, now, Lord, we're ready. We, before we knew you, and you had our heart, but you didn't have all of our heart. And now that we're in this place, I'm ready to yield it all to you. And it shouldn't be a thing that we tempt the Lord and go, hey, I'm just going to go deliberately sin, because God will use it for good. I mean, I guess you can do that, but listen, the Lord knows how to chasten his kids, and, and take us through fires and corrections and so forth. That's not the route you want to go. And, and he will. 
He, he, he's faithful and good. But I look at it and I marvel. I marvel at the grace of God and I marvel that even in our gross knuckleheadedness, I don't know if that's a word or not, but I'm using it. I like that word. He uses it for good. I think that we should marvel at that and thank God for that and rejoice in him in that. So he says, you're going to come back with all your heart. We saw that with the prodigal. And yet again, the father waited and the father, even with Israel, brought him back into the land with open arms. And even in this day, he's brought them back, even though, listen, you read in Ezekiel and it talks about the dry bones, the valley of the dry bones. And that's the passage that talks about Israel coming back into the land in the last days. And, and the bones are there and then the flesh and everything comes on the bones, but life's not breathing until they really repent. And they're there and there's life there, but they really haven't still repented. And it just shows the great goodness of God that in his faithfulness, even though there still hasn't been a repentance outside of a remnant, he's showing his faithfulness and saying, I'm going to bring you back. And whenever we talk about Israel, again, we can make the application to us because it shows the heart of God, not only to Israel, but the heart of God to his church. And that's a glorious thing. Um, so again, he says, I'm going to bring you back. I'm going to have compassion on you. Indeed, he is a compassionate God. I'm going to bring you back from where you've, you've been scattered. Again, we've seen that multiple times in the history of the world. And then he says to them, he says, when I bring you back, I'm going to circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. And I think that, you know, that's happened to a degree because really with prophecy, you got to understand with prophecy, a lot of people think, and, and there's some prophecies as a one-time one fulfillment, but generally with prophecy, it's a pattern. Prophecy is generally a pattern. And the Jewish mind and actually the way the Hebrews understand the Bible and were taught it, it's understanding, it's a pattern, and then you get an ultimate fulfillment. And each time Israel come back from those captivities, God had more of the heart. But really it's when they look upon him whom they pierced in Jacob's trouble and the tribulation, that's when their hearts are really going to be circumcised. Um, because that's a picture of the new covenant. And the old covenant, again, their flesh was circumcised as a step of faith, that they had faith in the Messiah who was going to come, but they were still under that law. Jesus came and he fulfilled the law that when we come to him, we come and we receive grace. And then there's a circumcision of our heart. And that's what we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's important that we don't harden our hearts. And it's important that, again, we are allowing the Lord to examine our hearts. Verse 7, he says, And the Lord your God will put all these curses on your enemies and on those who hate you and persecuted you. And it's interesting, every time Israel go into captivity or one of those nations around them would persecute them, they hated the Jews and Israel so much, they would even just, they would be extra ruthless to them. And you see it. You see like the, the, the Edomites, you know, the descendants of Esau just rejoicing in in israel's captivity and yet then you read the book of obadiah which is about edom and esau's descendants and it talks about this extra judgment now that's coming upon you because you rejoiced and esau and jacob being related esau and israel being related you rejoiced in their chastisement and so now even all the more wrath's going to be poured on in you and listen there's a lesson there for us don't rejoice when you see others being chastened by the Lord. I mean, you can rejoice if it's like 
praise God, I hope this is going to bring them back to the Lord. But if it's like, oh, yeah, get them, God, yeah. Just rub their nose in it, Lord. Have you ever been tempted to do that? Have you ever done that? Someone did something bad on you, and then, you know what, something comes down on them, or, you know, people finally figure out who they are, or a lot of times when you, you know, roll a certain way, their chickens are going to come home to roost eventually. There's a real temptation to rejoice in that, right? I've been guilty of it before. I have, like, oh, that's awesome. You know, you dug the pit, now you finally fell in it. We don't want to do that, though. Because I deserve to be in that pit as well. And that's what a, a big mistake those nations that, that God used to chase in Israel did. And interesting, in some of those cases, even some of the rulers got saved, like Nebuchadnezzar and others. And yet they were harsh, and then those curses were put upon those nations when it didn't have to be the case. It could have been something. And in fact, their captivity was supposed to be something that made those other nations go, wow, this happened because of their disobedience against the Lord. We need to get right with God. And, and we read that earlier in Deuteronomy. And so we want to do the same thing. We want to do the same thing when, when you know what, you see a chastening of the Lord on someone or the fruit of their sin coming back upon them, the ramification. Man, don't give in to that temptation to go, way to go, God, don't do that. Amen. You don't want to do that. And uh, we're all, you know, the flesh does that because we do like justice and vengeance and so forth. But listen, that belongs to God, not to us. Amen. Practically, yeah, in the courts and things, there's a place for that. And there's a place for things to be regulated within biblical grounds, but not to celebrate again. It could be even be a good thing, but not to celebrate it in the sense of that satisfies me. Verse 8. He says, And when you again obey the voice of the Lord and do his commandments, which I command you today, the Lord your God will make you abound in all the work of your hand and the fruit of your body and the increase of your livestock and the produce of the land for good. For the Lord will again rejoice over you for good as he has rejoiced over your fathers, if you obey the voice of the Lord your God to keep his commandments and his statutes, which are written in the book of the law, if you turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. So again, the Lord knew they would go astray, but he says, listen, when you're ready to turn and call out and obey, I'm gonna meet you where you're at, and I'll even bring you back into the land here, and it will abound. And every time you see in history when he would bring them back and they had a humble heart, that land would indeed abound. And it's interesting where he says, I'll, I'll, I'll bless the fruit of your body. That's what this had to do with, and we've talked about it many times, God bringing the Messiah through Israel. And so I'm going to bring you back. And those times he took into captivity, it was in part, again, to correct them that the Messiah of the world would come forward. And indeed, he's been faithful and true in his promises to Israel, and he has been the same to us. Verse 11, he says, For this commandment which I command you today... Is not too mysterious for you, nor is it too or is it far off. Now, listen to this and see if it sounds familiar to you. If you're not as familiar with the Old Testament, if you're more familiar with the New Testament, especially the book of Romans, it says, It is not in heaven that you should say, Who will ascend into heaven for us and bring it to us, that we may hear it and do it, nor is it beyond the sea that you should say, 
who will go over the sea for us and bring it to us that we may hear it and do it. But the word is very near you in your mouth and in your heart that you may do it. And what he's saying here is, listen, God's word's not in riddles. And it's not like way far off where we got to go up this mountain and go through all of this stuff to figure out what God's saying. He says, you've been given the word of God. It's right before you. And if you believe it, you'll obey it and you'll be blessed. But if you doubt it, sin's going to come and there's going to be curses that come with it. Now, Paul quoted this passage here in the book of Romans. And he made the application to salvation. He made an application to the person of Jesus Christ. In Romans 10.5, Paul said, For Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law. The man who does these things shall live by them. But the righteous of faith speaks in this way. Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven. That is to bring Christ down from above. Or who will descend from the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith, which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart, God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So he says, listen, we got to simplify this. You want salvation? You don't need to go up to heaven to get that. You don't need to go down to the abyss to get that. Because you know what? The Lord's already come down from heaven. And the Lord laid down his life and he went to the abyss and he rose from the grave and he conquered death. And it's as simple as this. It's as simple as calling upon Jesus Christ and asking him to be your Lord and your Savior. You believe in your heart God raised from the dead and you're going to be saved. So he's saying don't complicate this. It's not complicated. The truth's right there. The question is are you going to believe and call on him Or are you not? And so Moses made the application with the law. And Paul makes the application with the fulfiller of the law, the Lord Jesus Christ. And aren't you glad that, again, to be saved, we don't have to go go up to the highest mountain or go to the deepest sea. But it's a matter instead of falling on our face and calling upon the Lord. And he meets us where we're at. I, I thank him for that. Verse 15. He says, see, I've set before you today life and good, death and evil, and that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments, his statutes and his judgments that you may live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land which you go to possess. So he's basically saying there's two roads before you. Believe and obey, and there will be life and goodness. If you want to doubt and sin, there's going to be death and evil. And really, it's the same today. Listen, there's two roads. Oh, all roads lead to God. There's two roads. This nonsense of all, you've heard that before, all roads and all these roads. And, you know, people define it in different ways. All the roads in life, there's two roads. There's a road that leads to life. It's a narrow road. And then there's a wide road that leads to a wide gate and there's death. And that narrow road is Jesus. It's calling out to Jesus to be our Lord and getting our eyes on Jesus and following him. And everything else, it might look like a bunch of different roads, but listen, it's one road. And it's basically anything else as your Lord than Jesus. And it's good to walk with the Lord. And listen, sometimes that road, it's a bumpy road. 
Anyone, anyone else bear witness to that? Sometimes it even feels, it's a straight road, but at times it feels like a windy road. It's a straight road in that we know where it's going. We, we know it's straight as an arrow in the, the, the truth of it. But man, there's valleys and hills and dips and divots and unexpected things around the corner. Anyone here ever read Pilgrim's Progress? Highly recommend it. About Christian there going to the celestial city. And all those things he encounters on the road. I think I've encountered, oh, you know, I've, I've encountered most on the road. And then tomorrow comes. Like, oh, I haven't seen that before. But praise God, the Lord's faithful. And the beautiful thing about that book is there are several times when he even kind of loses his way on the road. But the Lord always meets him where he's at. Amen. And that's what our God does. He says there as well in verse 17, but if your heart turns away so that you do not hear and are drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I will announce to you today that you shall surely perish and you shall not prolong your days in the land which you cross over, uh, when you cross, which you cross over the Jordan to go and possess. So again, listen, it's a, it's a matter of the heart. If, it starts with if your heart turns away. He says, then you don't hear and then you're drawn away to these other gods, which aren't just other gods, it's, it's, demons, it's demons is what it is. He says you're going to perish. And so there's some lessons here for us practically. Proverbs says to guard your heart above all things because out of it springs the issues of, your li- of the life. Guard your heart. Is your heart going after the Lord or is it turned aside? And if it's turned aside, then be real with God and say, Lord, my heart. My heart's turning aside. I need you to get hold of my heart, Lord. That should be a red flag that goes off. When the Lord's not the master passion. Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They shall be filled. What's that hunger there for? If your heart turns away, he says, if you don't hear. Getting your heart and your ear and your head, they're very closely connected. Your heart turns, it starts to turn away, then all of a sudden now you're not hearing, now you're not listening. You're not listening to the voice of the Lord, the Word, the voice of the Holy Spirit, the voice of truth. And you start listening to these other voices, and then what happens? You're drawn away, and then the next thing you know, you're worshiping and you're serving other gods. He says, I'm going to tell you the truth, you're going to perish. And the wages of sin is death. And again, the believer, the true believer in Christ... Listen, we have security in the Lord and our salvation, but Sunday we talked about our fruits perishing and our rewards perishing and that withered branch and so forth. That's a wasted life. It's not a life the Lord has for us to live. Verse 19, he says, I call heaven and earth as witness today against you that I have sat before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life. Though both you and your descendants may live, that you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey his voice, and that you may cling to him, for he is your life and the length of your days, and that you may dwell in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give them. And so again, two choices, choose life. And we got to remember that. Because, man, the enemy, the world... Our flesh does a really good job of making sin and the temptation look like it's where life's at. But like in the Proverbs, 
you know, the, the seductress, it says, you know, that the stairs behind that front, it leads to Sheol, it leads to death, it leads to hell. And it looks so appealing, but listen, behind them, their doors, death lies. Absolutely. And we got to remember that. Choose life. Make a choice. Notice that word there. Choose life. I don't think the Lord would say choose life if we didn't have a say in the matter. I know some people say, well, you, you don't have a choice. Well, then why is God saying choose life? Perplexing to me. Other times you say, well, you're elected or you're not. And they say, well, see, you don't have a choice. Well, over here it says that I do. So what's the deal? Well, it's this. If you call on the Lord, you're elected. And if you're elected, you'll call on the Lord. We'll just leave it at that. I know this, too, that I make choices every day. And there ain't anyone, you know what, with my, got my arm behind my back. I make choices every day. And we all do. And so I ran into people. They're like, well, you know what, I'll, I'll start serving God when he makes me. I remember I had a long conversation with this guy one day. I'm like, dude, you need to repent. You need to, you need to follow the Lord. Well, you know, if that's what God wants, I'll just do it. I go, it's what he wants. You need to do it now. Well, you know what? I don't think I have a choice in the matter. Well, you're choosing everything else you're doing. Yeah, but in this thing. So again, choose life that you may love the Lord your God. And that comes up several times. We're, we're done with this chapter. It's come up several times in this chapter. You love the Lord. Again, I love it because it's, it's called to this relationship. That you love the Lord and he'd have your heart. And I love this, that, that you'd cling to him. And boy, listen, we got to cling to Jesus more than any other time in the history of the world. Can we say amen to that? Amen. Chapter 31. It says, then Moses went and spoke these words to all Israel, and he said to them, I am 120 years old today. It's his birthday. I wonder if they like saying happy birthday to him. This is a wily bunch that he oversaw here. I can no longer go out and come in. Also, the Lord has said to me, you shall not cross over this Jordan. And so it's interesting. Moses is 120, and he's basically saying, I'm feeling it. I can no longer go out and come in. Um, it's interesting because other verses talk about his youthfulness even in his older age, but maybe he just declined quickly at the end. I don't know. And he's basically, I'm 120 and I'm, I'm feeling it. You think about, I think about Moses and really it's a guy that had one life, but it's like he lived three lives. When he was a baby and his parents had that faith to make that uh, little ark out of, bulrushes and they threw him there and pharaoh's daughter found him and her mind was changed about the life of a child when we saw a child that's why sonograms are so important and spared his life and then he was raised there in pharaoh's house trip out on that this hebrew raised there in pharaoh's house almost like a son of pharaoh and yet god made it so his mom could nurse him and get paid for it that's pretty good a lot of moms would like that nowadays and, and so he was able to, again, learn truth and so forth. And obviously he, he knew his brothers were and he knew everything. And he came to that point where he finally said, I'd rather suffer affliction with the people of God than partake care of the sins of the house of Pharaoh. And they had everything. Everything that you could think of, they had it. And he said, I'd rather suffer with the people of God. 
And then he got ahead of God because instead of waiting for the Lord, he's like, I'm going to go get this going. And, you know, he took out that Egyptian and he had to look to the right and left before he did it. That's always a bad, like when you have to do that, that's telling you, you need to stop. And, and he did it. And then they didn't get it. Cause like, Oh, you're going to do this. What you did to those Egyptians. And he went, and, and that was his first life. And then the second life, you know, he goes, comes to this Midianite Jethro and God kind of makes a way for him. And he's just a sheep herder for, for 40 years. They can, you know what? No doubt. Probably this is my life. Now God's done with me. I'm herding sheep. There was probably some great blessings out there. And at the same time, probably a lot of regrets and so forth. 80 years old, pretty old, even back at that time. <laughs> you're, you're, you're older than that. <laughs> but God wasn't done with them. And God's not done with you. I don't care if you're 18 or you're 84 or how old you are. God's not done with you. And you need to know that. The enemy lies to me at times. Oh, God's done with you. God's done with Refuge Church. I read that passage the other day and the Lord just put in my heart, I'm not done with you. I'm not done with that fellowship. And God was not done with Moses at 80 because he still had another life to live these next 40 years. And boy, they're going to blow the doors after those first two, uh, over those first two lives. This guy, those first two lives prepared him for that third life. And, and I mean, God appears to him out there. He's tended to sheep in the burning bush and talks to him. And then you're going to go to Pharaoh. And he tries to come up with every excuse and every reasons why he couldn't do it. <laughs> and God just answered him at every turn. And seeing that deliverance and all that unfolded and it was glorious. And then he got out there in those wilderness. And there was a lot of miracles out there. But man... Those people, the, the rebellion and so forth. But God saw him through the whole thing. And then he made that mistake. Instead of speaking to the rock, he, he, he smote it. And he misrepresented the Lord. And the Lord said, because of that, you're not going to go in the promised land. You ever read that and think Moses got a bum rap? I mean, truthfully, you read that and you're like, man. He's the most humble man on earth, he tells us. In Numbers. The Holy Spirit allowed him to write it. I mean, he's a type of Christ and a deliverer in so many ways. And you're like, wow. But listen, it was for Moses' good and for Israel's good because God was not going to use the law to bring him into the promised land. And Moses brought the law. He was going to use Joshua, who is a type of Jesus, another type of Jesus in the sense of he'd bring them in. And we're not brought into the kingdom through the law. We're brought into the kingdom through grace Amen. by the one who fulfilled the law. And so he's lived these three lives. He's 120 years old and he's filling it. And so he says, we're going to huddle up here in verse three. And he says, I'm not going to go with you. And this is, this is who they knew for 40 years. This was, this was their leader. And he says, I'm not going, but notice what he says next. The Lord, your God himself crosses before you, over before you. I'm not going, but God's going. Men come and go. I've done my role here. 
Now God's going to bring someone else. He's going to raise someone else up. And God always does that. If you think, oh, I'm, I'm not, I can't be replaced. You can. And so can I. God's been doing it for 6,000 plus years. The Lord your God himself crosses over before you. He will destroy these nations from before you. And you should dispose them. Joshua himself crosses over before you, just as the Lord has said. And the Lord will do to them as he did to Shion and Og, the kings of the Amorites, and in their land, and he destroyed them. And the Lord will give them over to you, that you may do them to them according to every commandment which I've commanded you. So again, again, he says, I'm not going, but God's going. That's assuring, isn't it? And then God's always also has raised up Joshua because Joshua has been Moses' apprentice for the last 40 years. Been right there on the side of him. Doing a lot of good things, making a few mistakes along the way, but learning. He's been tested. He's been seen to be a faithful brother and fit for the job. And then he says in verse 6, because of that, be strong and of good courage. Do not fear nor be afraid of them. For the Lord your God, he is the one who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. So he says, I'm not going, but it's okay because God's going before you. So don't fear. Be of good courage. Courage. Don't fear them. Remember, there were giants in the land. Don't fear them. The first generation feared them. Be strong of good courage. Don't fear versus being weak and cowardly. Why? Because God's going before you. And God has also raised up a, a leader who's being led by the Lord. He's providing for what you providing for you what you need. And then in verse seven it says that Moses called Joshua and said to him, "In the sight of all Israel, be strong and of good courage, for you must go with this people to the land which the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them, and you shall cause them to inherit it." And the Lord, He is the one who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. Do not fear nor be dismayed. And He does something wise in the front of the people. Again, He gives Joshua the charge. Later in the chapter, he ordains Joshua inside of the people so that they would see he has Moses' blessing as Moses had the Lord's blessing. But I love it because he tells them collectively, be strong and of good courage, don't fear. But he also tells Joshua that individually. And we want to take that to heart because a lot of times people only feel empowered in numbers. You know, when there's a bunch of people, then I won't fear. And listen, the body of Christ, when they're really walking with the Lord, that's a beautiful thing. And there is comfort in that. And as the body of Christ, we have no reason to fear or to, to, to be cowardly, but to be strong and of good courage and, and uh, to fearless because the Lord's with us till the end of the age. He's told us that. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. You need to take that to heart as an individual as well, that he's with you. And all that comes and unfolds before you throughout the day. Verse 9, so Moses wrote this law and delivered it to the priests, the sons of Levi, who bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord, and to the elders of Israel. And Moses commanded them, saying, at the end of every seven years at the appointed time, the year of release, or the year of jubilee, at the Feast of Tabernacles, when all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God in that place which he chooses... You shall read this law before all Israel in their hearing. Gather the people together, men and women and little ones and the stranger who is within your gates, that they may hear, that they may learn to fear the Lord your God and to carefully observe the words of this law 
that their children who have not known it may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as you live in the land which you cross, uh, which you cross the Jordan to possess. So listen, every seven years at the year of Jubilee during the Feast of Tabernacles, this law, these first five books were to be read to everybody. Men, women, little ones, strangers, no partiality. Why? So again, they would hear the word. They would learn to fear God. They would obey the Lord. Their children would be blessed to walk in truth. It wasn't the only time they were supposed to hear the word. You're like, man, every seven years? Remember, they were to have God's word before them. They were to talk about the Lord and their rising and their lying down and walking throughout the day. There were Levites that were dispersed throughout the land that were to teach them in local synagogues and so forth. They were to keep three feasts, uh, Passover, uh, Pentecost, uh, the Feast of of, uh, Harvest every year. And then this is even on top of that, all come. And what what an awesome scene to see them all coming out hearing the word. It was to bring them together under the banner of the word of God that they would hear and receive. And this is why it's important that we're in the word that we're in the word when we get together, that our kids are hearing the word. Our kids are no doubt, there's some games and some fun they're having, but they're hearing the word tonight. And it's so important they're hearing it in our home. Again, they're hearing it in fellowship, that they're learning to get in the word on their own. And sometimes you gotta get creative in that with your kids. Uh, What do we wanna do here? We're not gonna finish the chapter, so why don't we just stop right there? Heavenly Father, we bless you and we just thank you, God, for tonight. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your faithfulness to us, God. You are so good, Lord. I thank you, God, that indeed you work all things for good for those that love you and are called according to your purposes. We see that, God, there with Israel, Lord. We see your faithfulness to them. And Lord, we rejoice, Lord, in your faithfulness to us as followers of Jesus. Lord, continue to bless our evening here and our fellowship, God. Lord God, you know the hearts of all those here. Lord, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you, Lord, that salvation is not attained through us, through us climbing to heaven or going down to the abyss. But Jesus, you came from heaven and you conquered the abyss. And it is true, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord would be saved. And Lord, I hope and pray we all know you here tonight. But if there's any who don't, Lord, I would hope that even this night they'd humble the heart, call on you and ask for forgiveness and ask you, Lord, to be their their Savior and their Lord. And that means, listen, turning away from you being your own Lord. It means something when you ask Jesus to be your Lord. You're asking him to be your God and govern your life. You're you're saying, Lord, take my life. And and I receive you to oversee my life. And I believe that, that you are the Savior. And so call on him if you haven't. If you have, rejoice in that tonight. Share that truth with someone this week. We thank you, Lord, and praise you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.